Hello, I'm Niall Easton, and this is Fully Involved, a Unified Fire podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be touching base with one of our divisions, Special Enforcement. So let's welcome in um, Division Chief Steve Ball. How you doing, Steve? Doing well, thanks. Good. And you brought a couple guests. I did. First, we have Steve Bowen. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing good. And Paul Larson, both investigators. Hello. And of course, Cam DeVokes producing the show today. Hi. How you doing? Good, thank you. Good. So we just wanted to touch base. Um, you're one of those divisions. I mean, we, part of the benefit of a unified fire authority type model is we have a lot of breadth. We have a lot of programs, special divisions like yourselves that offer services to the cities that we serve. Um, let's talk a little bit about yours in particular and what you guys do for those that don't know, and then we'll dive into some more specifics. So, Steve, just tell us, kind of encapsulate, if you will, what is the mission of the Special Enforcement Division at Unified Fire? Okay, well, thanks for having us on. I don't think we've been here before, so I appreciate it. Um, we, The Special Enforcement Division has uh, a number of responsibilities. The Probably the most visible is um, – fire arson investigations. And then we are also the accredited bomb squad uh, for Salt Lake County. So we're one of eight accredited bomb squads in the state of Utah. Um, and, uh, and then we have some ancillary duties where we perform all of the background investigations for new hire employees, um, both firefighter and then uh, civilian employees. And we will um, also do professional standards investigation. So like what most people commonly probably are familiar with, like an internal affairs type thing where if there's, you know, allegations of misconduct or um, other things internally that need to be investigated, we handle that. And then um, one of the other kind of ancillary duties is um, the SWAT paramedic program is managed through special enforcement. Okay. Now, where are you guys located? Our offices are at the old fire station 107. Okay. In uh, Ochre Shadows. Okay. Now, what? So, what draws you guys in? Were, were you law enforcement background? Were you firefighters? Where Where did you come from to end up where you are now? So, some were former law enforcement. Um, and for the most part, I think, well, not I think, I know Steve Bowen is the last one that we hired outside the department who came in as a police officer. Yes. Uh, from a previous employment. Um, and since then, um, it's, well, there's a lot of history behind it, but in the last decade or so, most of the folks that have come into special enforcement have come from within the firefighter ranks. Um, there are varying degrees of different experience levels. Some have had zero law enforcement experience before coming into investigations. Um, and then some uh, had experience, whether, you know, SWAT, team or SWAT paramedics or, or some other law enforcement experience outside of that through the firefighter rank. So, um, Bowen is one of the last that we hired outside the department. Okay. So Paul, that means you were a firefighter. Correct. Firefighter paramedic. Gotcha. And I, I came up through the SWAT medic program. Okay. Uh, I'm also one of the Midvale guys. Oh, okay. 2011 when we transitioned over, um, I accepted a position on the SWAT team as a tactical medic and then working through that, knowing Steve, he said, Hey, we got a spot open up in the arson bomb division. And I tested for that and moved in. What drew you into that? What was interesting to you? I, I had done a little bit of investigation when I was with uh, Midville. So 
I still had an interest in it. And then be able to become a bomb tech was, was a definite plus. Was a bonus. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned fire arson. So whenever we have a fire, you, you guys, I, I assume are on call one of you at all times, right? We have Correct. a fire. You hear it on dispatch. Do you just immediately hop in and go? Well, no, I mean, it, we can self dispatch if, if we're hearing something during the day and, and it comes over the radio and it sounds like we're going to go anyway. Uh, but typically the uh, incident commander will request an investigator. So there are some times where the origin and cause of the fire uh, hasn't caused a lot of damage and it's readily identifiable to the captain or battalion chief on scene. And, and we may not have to go right. Like, so food on the stove that doesn't cause a tremendous amount of damage or small grass fire and and they kind of know what started it. But if it, um, if it appears intentionally set or the origin and cause of the fire is not readily identifiable to the incident commander, they'll request us. But there are times during the day we'll hear something come in. We know we're going to go. So we'll just self-dispatch out to the fire. Does it help to get there like as early as possible or does it matter for what you're going to be looking at? No, it actually is beneficial for us to get there early. Um, observing fire behavior is pretty important to figure out how a fire started. And so we want to see the conditions that existed as early as we can. Hmm. Also, we like to talk to the witnesses and get their statements and see what they had to say about the fire and just view bystanders too. So what is your, like your window of, of time on a, on a specific fire? Like when you're looking at things, talking to people, I mean, our guys go in, they try to put it out as fast as possible and they're kind of done. How long does your job last on a fire like that? Um, a, a fire investigation could take anywhere from a few minutes. We figure it out pretty quick. It is what it is. We got good witness statements. The fire patterns tell us what we need to know. Um, and other times we could work a case for months. Typically at the scene, we would be done within several hours or have to come back another day or things like that. But um, um, a true, you know, like who done it type case, we could work for weeks or months. Wow. Well, so we're all kind of closet CSI people, right? <laughs> um, so just walk through, I, I, not talking about anything current, of course, we don't want to jeopardize any investigations, but maybe something from your past that like when you arrive, what are you, what are the telltale signs that this something might've been arson or is there not a, a perfect storm, you're looking at all these different factors. And what are those things you're looking at? Like, what are the eyes of an investigator as they're entering into a scene like that? They're usually closed. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so we're, we're really observing everything from the moment we arrive, wherever we're parking. Like, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for like, Paul might do things a little bit differently than I do, but I start looking at everything around me. Like, I look at parked cars. I look at bystanders. I start looking at, um, and that's before I even get up to the scene. I mean, I don't, I don't even, um, necessarily talk to the fire crew until I get a chance to visually inspect what, what I want to inspect because I don't want somebody pushing me towards a conclusion before I have a chance to actually tear apart the scene myself. Um, and then, you know, you kind of look at, um, we use what's called the scientific method, right? So there's steps that we have to take in order to say definitively how a fire started. So we might have an idea, um, but we have to be able to put that to the scientific method and to, to determine what that cause was. 
And, and sometimes it's, it's really easy and sometimes it's really, really difficult. Um, a lot of stuff's based on fire patterns, right? Um, uh, we, we use, uh, Steve, Steve is, uh, Steve Bowen is our accelerant detecting canine handler. Uh, we use that tool a lot. Um, and then, and then we have to follow the fire patterns and the witness statements and arson's a pretty hard crime to prove, um, because there's always, um, a defense kind of built into it about, uh, being accidental. So mm-hmm. we actually have to show how this was not an accidental fire. If we're going to actually charge someone and get a conviction for arson. Once we do that though, we, we typically have a pretty good clearance rate on our cases. Very good. Hmm. So can you think of any big examples in the past of, uh, like an arson that you, you walked in on and you start to get the sense for it? Um, what were those specific things you saw or how, how could you tell? And then I'm also curious and I should ask this later maybe, but just once you've determined arson, what happens next? What's our role chasing down the perpetrator, so to speak? Um, we have to eliminate what we would call a competent ignition source at every seat of the fire. So wherever we determine the origin is, um, you're looking at what everything in that room that could have caused that fire. And then what the witness statements also tell you, or if it's a, if you don't have witness statements, you got to go based off what you can see and find. And, and, you know, if, if we rule out all the other competent ignition sources um, and we have other evidence that we've collected or that we've observed, we can say that this was an intentionally set fire. Um, and, and it's different for, for everyone. Right. Um, yeah. There's never a fire that's going to be exact like the other fire was either. So everything's different. And one tool that we like to use, which I handle, is our accelerant detection canine. Mm. And we'll run her into the fire and have her sniff certain areas and see if there was an accelerant used to help start that fire and help accelerate the fire. So an accelerant like like gas or? Gasoline. Right. Any ignitable Any. liquid or material like that, that, that would put off the odor. Um, but that's, that doesn't always necessarily indicate arson either. That's nope. just another tool that we use. And the absence of an ignitable liquid doesn't rule out arson either. Um, so it, it can be a pretty tough job on yeah. determining it. So, okay. So. Steve, when you when you're hiring somebody, I, I imagine they don't come in with years experience of of investigating arson from our own internal. How do you get them up to speed? Is there are you sending them out to a lot of training programs and just how do they it seems like that's a life gain knowledge thing. You need to see more to be able to find it better. Right. So w- what we're looking for when somebody wants to do this job is is typically we don't find a, a candidate that has years and years of experience. Right. Um, so there's a ton of training that goes into it. There's certifications, there's specialized schooling. Um, there's things that deal with the fire scene itself. And then there's vehicle fires and then there's electrical fires. And then there's, you have to kind of specialize in, in determining all the different ways a fire can start and then, uh, and being able to observe that. And then the more fires you get to. So when we get a new investigator, we have them typically going to every fire that they can see. And it, and it doesn't matter. I mean, little ones, big ones, arsons, accidentals, 
the more fires you get on the, the better you are. So it takes a long time, um, to kind of get comfortable. Mm. Um, especially when you start talking about the other side of the job, which is the bomb technician. Um, we, we look for somebody that's going to commit at least five years to the program. Oh, wow. Um, and in some cases it really is a career path change because it's just a totally different, um, uh, way of, of, uh, of thinking, you know, we want somebody that likes to figure out puzzles and is curious and has mechanical aptitude. And, but also then you have to do the other side of that, where you can switch from being a firefighter to a law enforcement officer, because if we determine it's arson or we have an explosive related criminal case, uh, we handle those cases cradle to grave. So we start the case and then we apprehend the suspect, book them into jail. And then all the way through trial is still ours. So we don't hand, the cases off to any of our law enforcement partners. Okay. We are the arson squad for every member city in UFA that has their own police department. Okay. You touched on the bomb squad. Now, is it, are your investigators part of that or is it a whole different team? Is that, you guys got a dual hat that? <laughs> yeah. That, uh, it's, um, it's a dual specialty. So um, since Steve, you'll have to help me out. I don't have my notes in front of me, but since about 2008, 2007, 2008 in that area, uh, they combined. So the bomb squad and the arson investigators used to be separate units mm-hmm. under the same kind of division chief or, um, bureau, bureau chief, chief at the time, time. bureau chief. Um, and then about that time, about 2008, 2007, they combined the two units. And so there was a couple arson guys that went to bomb school and a couple bomb techs that started doing arson training and investigations. So, um, we haven't been a separate, it's been a dual specialty since about then. How often are we dealing with like a bomb related threat issue? Is it multiple times in a year? Cause we don't hear about them very often unless they make the news. Right. So right. I'm just curious how often would rather you not hear about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we've done our job, it's not advertised very much. We we run about it uh, typically about a hundred or so explosive related incidents a year on average, and that's anything from you know a mailbox getting blown up, a dry ice bomb, fireworks disposal because we we dispose fireworks and ammunitions, commercial explosive pickups where somebody's found old explosives or in some cases some old military ordnance all the way up to criminal bombings. Um, oh, so wow. we have to, and, and that gamut is huge, right? So we have to be familiar with how to deal with a dry ice bomb all the way up to what we call a dirty bomb, like a radioactive type dispersal. So it, it's a, it's a pretty big um, knowledge base that we have to go through. The schooling for that is, is pretty intense. I can't imagine. So is it everything you guys thought it would be, or is it a lot different than you thought it would be? Oh, it's a lot more. It's it's way more than I thought it would be. It's it's been awesome. Like how so? Uh, just it, it, when you got into the bomb squad arena, it opens up trainings oh, yeah. that um, all all bomb squads are covered by the FBI, and that's where the training comes from. But also on the other hand, ATF has some opportunities to go to training. So. Um, they pay for us to go to all over the country to attend trainings to make us better bomb techs. Um, so that's been that's been a blast, being able to travel around the country, meet other bomb techs, and just get training that is invaluable. Yeah, 
because you never know what's going to happen here. I just finished watching the, uh, what was it called? The Mark Hoffman yeah. stuff on Netflix. Right. I just watched that. Holy too. cow. I mean, to think that happened right here. Some of the people they were talking to, I knew. And I had to call them like, I, I had no idea you were involved in that. But so just to think what you got to be prepared for so many different scenarios to work through. I mean, do we have the whole robot stuff and all that kind of geared as well? So you got to know how to operate all of that. Yep. Fully functional. Yep. Fully functional bomb squad, um, robots, um, dismounted operations. We do tactical support for our SWAT teams as bomb techs. Um, so everything you kind of see on, on TV, right. Um, yeah. In, in some of those, those shows. Yeah. All that gear is available. Um, we we worked we worked domestic terrorism cases uh, with our partnership with the FBI on the Joint Terrorism Task Force. So we we haven't dealt with a a Mark Hoffman, uh, but we've dealt with folks that um, had the same propensity for violence and wanting to bomb stuff. Mm. That's scary. You're right. It's nice that we don't know that there's a hundred <laughs> type incidents every year. Um, you mentioned background investigations and and. I just want to touch on that because I've, I've been part of that discussion as we talk through um, getting better recruits in and we seem to have some success. I think people are used to a background check being a quick, you know, either they check their credit or you check if they have a criminal record. Ours seem to go a tad bit deeper than that. You don't have to give away the secrets, but what 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 do you guys do when you're doing those backgrounds? Because I want to talk a little bit of just about how important it is for character when we're looking at our recruits. I think it's our, our really our number one thing we're looking at when we're trying to recruit people into UFA is what is their character? So how, how do we go about gathering information about them? I think fortunately the UFA has defined values, right? Um, and so what we look for is we look for the candidate that has those defined values. And we will use a couple tools. There's a, there's a personal history questionnaire that we review with the candidate. Uh, we do run criminal histories. We have, you know, we have access to all those databases that we need. Um, but then we actually do legwork where we're talking to really in depth with former employers, um, uh, their, their supplied references. Every, everybody has a reference on their resume or application, right? So we, we talk to them and then we go a little bit deeper. We have those references give us additional references that might know the candidate. And we talk to those people. Uh, we walk their neighborhoods. We, we, uh, wow. we knock on doors. We, um, we really delve into, in some cases, we've really delved into social media. Um, and, uh, and, and what we're looking for is the candidate that has the UFA's defined values. And, and, you know, there are some people that you kind of look at their story and they have a little bit of life experience and not everybody, um, that, uh, that we hire is what we'd say exactly. Oh, this is going to sound bad. Squeaky clean. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> um, but we are looking for somebody that, that has not, doesn't have an extensive criminal history. Uh, if they do have criminal history, we kind of look at those cases. We talk to the candidate, uh, we find out the details of the case. Obviously if it can't be a, you know, a felony or, right. um, uh, things like that, but they still have to be able to be licensed by the state for EMS. Uh, but we will, we'll look really hard at some of those, their life story. Right. And so, um, you know, somebody that might have had some issues, whether it's employment or, or something in their past. And we look at how they've overcome that. If they've got really good 
life experience, if they've, if they've overcome some hardships and made changes in their life. And, and then we had that discussion with, um, um, chief Higgs and, uh, we'll oftentimes sit down with the packets and be like, Hey, this is what we found so far. Um, let's have a discussion. And so then we come to whether or not he wants us to proceed or whether we offer jobs or maybe we decide to pass over a candidate based on some stuff we've dug up. But for the most part, I think it's been pretty successful. The last few recruit schools, um, you know, we've been, we've been finding and attracting some pretty quality people. Yeah. It's all reports are saying that. So have you ever had the opposite where you have a squeaky clean candidate that looks great, but as soon as you guys start visiting, digging in a little deeper, red flags start popping up? I, I haven't had that personally. Luckily, I've, the ones I've uh, investigated have been good people. But one, for example, squeaky clean kind of thing, good guy, came to the department, made some bad decisions after he was hired and was let go. Hmm. And that's frustrating to me because we spend a lot of time investing into yep. these guys, getting to know them, meeting with them at their houses, and then you're hoping that that they want, they continue on in this job and is, are successful. And then when you hear they made mistakes and yeah, cause in a way you're vouching for them, right? Right. Yep. right. I, well, that's what I feel like. I don't, I don't think we really have a say, right? I, well, maybe we do, maybe we don't, but well, we don't, I mean, we don't, we don't give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. We, we issue a report to um, chief Higgs. Yeah. You provide the report, but, but we are investing time in them. So yeah, we just get to know them too. And that's right. the biggest thing. Yeah. You feel like, man, this, this person's going to be really good. I mean, we've even traveled out of state. Yeah. Wow. Um, we'll send an investigator to their home state if they're testing here. So we've gone to uh, San Diego, San Diego, uh, Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, I we went to Vegas last year. Uh, we would have gone to Ohio this year, but we had some COVID uh, Idaho. restrictions. Idaho, uh, Wyoming. Uh, so we, we went to Hawaii. Yeah, we're waiting for somebody. We need, some, we need somebody we from need Hawaii. Some applicants from Hawaii, uh, Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin <laughs> Islands. Florida would be all right. Yeah, Florida. The I, time of year we're doing these, Florida. The keys, know. anything like that. That'd be good. Um, Talk to your friends in Florida. Right, we'll, we'll recruit harder in those areas. <laughs> Um, well, just in the last few minutes we have, maybe talk a little bit, Steve, about what you're looking for. So guys in the field and, and women in the field that are, are thinking, man, that sounds interesting. What can they do between now and the next time you have an opening to kind of be ready, either mentally, physically, whatever, to apply and compete for one of these jobs? There there are some training that some folks can do on their own, um, but, you know, we don't want to we don't want to limit who we're looking for just based on some of this, taking a couple classes and say that that's the, that's right. the end of the deal. Right. Because, you know, there's, there's folks that come to us with a wide range of experience. We have folks that test for us that are out there from the military uh, that had good military experience and they might make a really good bomb tech. Um, we have some folks that, that have really curious minds that might be a really good arson investigator because their attention to detail and, and their curiosity makes them a good arson investigator. Um, we have some of the guys that or some of the folks that have tested or applied with us that um, that have come through the SWAT paramedic program that are that are used to working in a specialized field in a team environment. Um, and then we're also looking for people that can make um, kind of a longer term commitment. This is really isn't a, hey, that sounds cool. I'm going to go to bomb school and then uh, I'm going to go back to the field in a year. It, it's a longer term commitment than that because you're not really even comfortable in your own skin. Um, doing this until you've got at least three or four years, at least under your belt. 
Um, I'm still learning as long as I've been here. I'm still learning every day. How many years do you have in? I'm on my 19th year. Wow. Uh, Steve just got back from research in Alabama. So, you know, um, we go back every three years for recertification as a bomb tech to the bomb school in Alabama. And, and you're still picking up on the newest technology, the newest techniques. Uh, you're interfacing with folks from all over the country, you know, networking with what they're seeing and what they're doing. So it, it really isn't just something you think, um, I'll give that a fleeting chance, you know, and, or maybe that's not for me, but I'd like to go to bomb school. We get that. I've had that a lot from some folks where they're like, yeah, I don't really want to do that, but I, man, I'd love to go to bomb school. Well, sorry. Yeah. You you can't just go to bomb school and then be like, okay, I'm done. That was cool. That was a cool school. The FBI actually requires a five-year commitment um, to get certified. Wow. So they run the school. There's only one bomb school in the United States. I don't imagine. I mean, you're investing so much into it. You, you got to get some value back well, yeah, out then, of it. Then I've got to send, we have to send people to post because, you know, um, on both sides of the fire arson world and then um, on the bomb squad, um, the way we operate, you need to be a certified peace officer in order to do the job too. Gotcha. And then there's the part about, we, you know, we do a good job of, of uh, vetting people, when we hire them, but there's extensive background investigations that go into somebody just going to bomb school. The FBI does a, what they call a limited background investigation to get into bomb school. And then, um, they're, they're now asking for all bomb techs, um, within the United States to have at least a secret clearance. So, um, um, security clearance at the secret level or higher. And then, you know, um, most bomb squad commanders, um, the request is that they are also able to get a, um, a deputization as a special U S marshal. So there's a really a lot that goes into the, the bomb squad side of the house too. No. Well guys, we're out of time, but I just thank you so much for everything you guys are doing. It it's fascinating. Um, I, I honestly wish I could shadow you guys sometimes just to see what it, what it's like. And I, I hope our guys out in the field are, are encouraged to think about it as an option next time you get an opening. And then uh, I really appreciate, too, what you're doing for our background checks because everything I've heard for us, particularly the last two camps, has just been how good the camps have been and the quality of the candidates we're getting. So thank you very much. No, thank you. Well, Any other final thoughts? No, I mean, if people are interested, we, we would always encourage, you know, that our office is at Station 107. Um, folks are able to come by anytime, and if they have questions for us, um, or if we're out on a scene with you and you, you just have, you want to pick our brains, we're more than happy to do that. Okay, awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. For Cam DeVogue, I'm Niall Easton, and this has been Fully Involved. Until next time. From the Salt Lake Valley, this has been Fully Involved. Follow Unified Fire on social media and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening.